I became a vegetarian when I was about 14, and I, um, I didn't, there wasn't really a good reason, because I don't think there's a lot of good reasons that 14-year-old boys have for anything, um, but I was stubborn and stuck with it, and so, um, but I refused to eat eggs, I hated eggs, the smell of it was just like, oh my gosh, um, my least favorite thing in the world was a like, McDonald's Egg McMuffin, because it was like, it was a sausage and a biscuit and the egg, and it's just the aroma just fills up a space. It's like the opposite of incense. Um, and so I, like, when someone would have it in a car, you're like just choking in the back of the room. And, so, and when you're a vegetarian, especially in the late 90s, everybody asks you, well, where do you get your protein? Well, now, where are you going to get your protein, Wilson? Um, <laughs> it, was, it was not. My mother and father were very supportive. They, <laughs> But there were a lot of other people constantly, now where are you going to get your protein water? Um, you have to put your hand on your hip when you ask them that. Uh, I got beans and other things and so, but I just, I just didn't. I was also not a super active guy, and so I didn't need a lot. Like, I, I just wasn't. I, I played music, and I played on the computer, and that was about it. Um, read books. But when after college, I went, I went hiking, and so I finished at UT, and I took a bus to Maine. And I still was refusing to eat eggs. And I was like, this is, this is repulsive. I'm not going to do this. Um, but when you, when you start the Appalachian, Appalachian Trail up north, um, you climb this mountain called Katahdin, and then you have what's called the 100-mile wilderness, which is like 100 miles of swamp without any city. Um, and I was not in a lot of shape to, when I started. I, my pack was about 50 pounds overweight. I had like six books. I had a guitar. <laughs> I, had, I had two weeks of food for one week. It's... Like, a, I, didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and, but so after a week, I stopped at this um, small town uh, in, in Maine, and there was a hostel. And I stayed at the hostel, and it was one of those, mostly it was hikers, but there was like a random guy who came in who had like the worst snoring ever, so I didn't sleep. But it was okay, I was used to not sleeping. I was used to sleeping on the, on the ground, on the dirt. And so I was like, ah, oh, this is fine. I guess a snore is like a chipmunk crawling on my face, so that's okay. Um, but then I woke up, and I had this, it was the smell. What is this amazing aroma? <laughs> what is this like? What's this ambrosia from the gods? And then it's like, no, it's it's an egg. How did you make this egg? I, I, I cracked it and fried it. Love, give me more, give me more of these eggs. It was amazing, and now eggs are like my favorite thing in the world. It's a, it's it's fantastic. Um, but I say that because my perspective changed. <laughs> When I was so pro- when I was protein deficient from from hiking and being out of shape and just being desperate, suddenly this thing that had repulsed me began. This thing became this thing that I longed for. Our our circumstances change our expectations. Our circumstances change our desires. My friends, we are continuing our series on the deep end, on those moments in life when we are overwhelmed. On those moments in life when we are overwhelmed. And I think nothing describes for me being overwhelmed as much as Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters. The flood water sweeps over me. I am weary from crying. My throat is parched. That feeling of, of drowning, that feeling of not having anything to hold on to on the sides of you, not having anything to stand on your tippy toes. When you're in a pool and you think you're in the deep end, but you're not sure, you're trying touching your tippy toes and you don't quite reach. 
and it feels desperate. I share this, this psalm a lot with, with people who are going through hard times, with struggles, with grief, because I think it describes it so well, the emotion of being overwhelmed. The emotion of being overwhelmed. The emotion of having your throat hurt from crying. It describes desperation. What is it to be desperate? So often, as a society, we want to hide desperation. We want to put it, we want to put it in a nice little cozy room. We want to keep it away from sight. We don't want our kids to have a breakdown in the HCB. We want to have the breakdown at home where we can control it, not in the middle when they're just grabbing things off the shelf and throwing them. That doesn't happen, but it may. <laughs> but you don't, you don't want that. You kind of like all these eyes looking at you. We don't, we don't want the desperation in public view. I remember, I think it was two years ago, we had our, our wonderful city council rep, Ann Kitchen, who's, who's great and I respect, and she's done a lot for us. But uh, some members of the church asked about how to help homeless populations close to us. And she was kind of mum about it. And we said, we don't really want them around here. And that kind of way of, of hiding, hiding people in desperate situations. We don't, n- not, not in my backyard, keeping out. And when we are in desperate situations, we like the kind of feeling that nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to see me crying. Nobody wants to see me desperate. Nobody wants to see me going out in my pajamas at 10 at night or whenever. Um, nobody wants to see that desperation. Psalm 69 gets to this point. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. It also describes this way of so often in desperation, it is nothing we have done that gets us there. Which is interesting to pair with the prodigal son. The prodigal son is usually this illustration of what happens when you kind of like blow with blow all your savings, blow everything with extravagant living, etc. Prodigal comes from the word prodigious. And so prodigal doesn't mean someone who's wandered off. It means someone who's spent a lot um, in that kind of way. But what's interesting about the parable, so it says he spent a lot. He says he did lots of things. Um, but when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place in the land. So he had made some bad decisions, it's true. No one's going to fault him. He made some bad decisions. But then a famine came. Something he had not predicted. Something that was outside of his control. He did not cause the famine by spending lots of money. And yet it still happened to him. And he got desperate. He got desperate. And then it says, but when he came to himself, this is before this, he was eating with the pigs. He was feeding with the pigs. This is our nice, elegant version of pig pods. Um, it's much cleaner than any pig I've ever seen. But that's where he was. He was sitting there seeing that, man, if I could just have that food the pigs are eating, I'd be okay. Like, that's a description of desperation. Seeing that pig over there and thinking, that pig has a better life than me. And it is then that he says... That Jesus says when he came to himself. He realizes who he is in that moment. In common parlance, we call this rock bottom. That moment of desperation in the description of addiction. That moment of desperation when you're able to truly acknowledge 
your addiction. But rock bottom doesn't happen just in addiction. It happens in all manners of life. And the question so often is, can we see grace before rock bottom? Can we see conversion? Can we see a life turned around before that? Because God's grace is not just offered to those who are desperate. But we must be desperate for that grace. And there's an easy way inside of what's like Christianese and church language of talking about being desperate for God. There's a great old praise and worship song, and I am desperate for you, if you remember that one. But, but it's different than going out. You sing about being desperate for God in church, and then you go out to lunch. Or you go in these other ways and like go into these spaces of comfort. Immediately after saying, I'm desperate, it's like, wait, how desperate are we? There's that, that contrast, that, intellect, that um, dissonance going on. Because the desperation that is needed is the desperation of, of the prodigal son, of finding ourselves in our need. Not finding ourselves in the extravagant living, not finding ourselves in, in self actualization, in accomplishing our goals, but in our need. God's grace is offered to you. But also to more than you. God offers us a life of self-offering. Because in those moments of desperation, in those moments of need, it's so easy to feel isolated, to feel alone. That nobody understands me. And when we open our eyes to the world around us, we see that our experiences are not for us alone. That so many people in our lives have hurt, have suffered, have been desperate, and are still walking, and are still moving forward. The Father opens the door to us when we don't deserve it. That's the power of this act of desperation, is realizing you don't deserve it. The amazing thing of receiving a gift that you do not deserve, that you did not earn. When we are desperate, the door is open. How can we open the door for others? How can we learn and live the reality that we are comforted to be a comfort for others? I've quoted this line from 2 Corinthians, from the beginning of 2 Corinthians many times, but but God, it's so powerful that God offers us comfort in our afflictions so that we may be a comfort for others. That the story does not end with ourselves. We are not the center of this story. We are a part of a greater story of redemption of this world. And it begins in small and simple ways. It doesn't begin with a megaphone. It doesn't begin with a big tent revival. It begins in realizing who we are in our desperation. And letting go of control. And opening up and realizing that the people around us may be just as desperate as we are. The younger son's pride kept him from love. And until he let his pride go, our biggest obstacle to love in this world is pride. The pride that makes us think, oh, what have they done for me? Or I'm not that kind of person. That's a big one. That's a big one that keeps us from love. I don't need them. I don't need that in my life. Or for me, when I was hiking... I am not the guy who eats eggs. <laughs> I am not that guy. I thought to myself. Or how the prodigal son said, 
I am not the guy who goes home. I am not going to go home with my tail between my legs. The identity, fixating on this identity and refusing to see reality. We are not less ourselves when we are desperate, though we are more ourselves. We become more ourselves in desperation and we are truly free. This is the great inversion enacted by grace. It is only when we let go of who we think we need to be that we can become truly free. We see the ultimate act of freedom. It's coming up on Good Friday. Jesus offering himself for us. As Charles Wesley says, he emptied himself of all but love. That's humility. That's the the purest humility, emptying ourselves of all those things that are not love. What would it be to be emptied of all the things that are not love? All of the stuff in our head, all of the obligations, all of these concerns that aren't love. Even still, the freedom God offers us is not simply the open door. The Father runs. It's not this passive thing. It's not, you know, like, it's not the son walking along and the father just holding the door open, staring and waiting for him to come. He runs to him. He runs to him and embraces him and immediately gets the feast going. The point is not that we are welcomed and we are loved, but that we are given the chance to open the door for others. God opens the door for you. If you feel lost, come in. Come on in. We will feast and celebrate. If you feel found, go and do likewise. Open the door for someone who doesn't deserve it. The prodigal son did not deserve a feast. He hadn't earned it. The older son was right. (laughs) I worked day and night, and you don't give me a lamb. And then... This guy comes home, your son, he doesn't say my brother, he says your son (laughs) comes home and this is what you do. But that's the thing about grace, we don't deserve it. Grace is not the result of earning all the merit badges of life and showing God that we've lived a good life. It is a gift. It is a gift to each of us. It is a gift to the prodigal son. It is a gift to the older brother. It is a gift to the person on the streets. It is the gift to the person in the nicest house. It is a gift to the most comfortable, to the least comfortable. All is a gift. No one has earned it. And when we receive that gift, what is amazing is we don't need to hoard it. It's not going to be taken away. It's not like a little transformer toy that Ephraim has that he's so worried Ephraim is my three-year-old, if you don't know. He has this Optimus Prime that used to be mine. But he gets so concerned that someone's going to take it away from him. And I think so often we feel that about our faith. We don't want to open because maybe, they, maybe they'll challenge us and we, we feel uncomfortable. We, we're not going to have the right thing to say. Maybe if we, if we study the Bible too much, we'll find something that we don't like. and We just like, we like the people here and we want to keep on going. We don't want to find something we don't like. We hold on tight. When God's gift of grace is not something that we can even keep to ourselves. And it is in offering it to others that it grows. Because in offering it to others, we become less ourselves and more of who God made us.
to be. This is the powerful. Have a party for someone who doesn't deserve it. That's a hard one. It's not just the door is open and like, okay, you can go back to your room. It's we're having a party. That's, that's a lot. Like having a, hosting a party is a big deal. Like all of the logistics of it. Just think of the logistics of hosting a party, of getting people together, of, of making sure all the food's there, making sure all of the, the beverage is around, all of that. And, but doing it for someone who doesn't deserve it at all. And still being joyful. Not being resentful, like the older brother. Being joyful. Celebrating someone who doesn't deserve it. That's grace. Because we don't deserve it, and God celebrates us. And that space where you first met God, you did not deserve it, but you were celebrated and offered and honored. And we can continue to offer it. I'm going to close with uh, Psalm 131, which is another one of my favorites. It's a really short one, but it really captures the humility found here. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. A weaned child is, is a child who no longer is fed by his or her mother, but is still present there. A child who is not weaned is pretty much controlled by hunger, constantly. But the, the weaned child of being satisfied, of being satisfied with God. Of not thinking about, as the younger son did at first, thinking about all the other things you could do, all the ways you could spend your money, all the things you could do if your father kicked the bucket and then you could just go and have your own way. That's what he was thinking about all of his desires. Or probably the, the older brother, thinking about how he was going to change the farm once his dad died. Not that he was going to sell it, but he was like, I've got a few things I'm going to bring into the operation, a few moder- modernizations. Instead, being satisfied. Being satisfied. And then it ends, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Because the point is not to end with ourselves, but to offer this hope for others. At the end of every service, we do not leave. We are sent. We are sent by grace into this world. And if you have felt desperate this week, if you have felt desperate recently, you are not alone. It's important to share, to talk about it, but it's most important to acknowledge it. The power of the prodigal son is he realizes where he is. And we cannot begin to move until we realize where we are. But you are not alone. And God meets us where we are, but God does not leave us there. There's a few more weeks until Good Friday. A few more weeks until resurrection. Let us journey there. Let us offer hope in this time. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.